Hi guys, Tomo Lovrick and Sean Quigley here from What's Going On Here, the podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Player FM, Pod Directory, and Blueberry. So tune in and have some fun. gentlemen to another episode of what's going on here my name is Tomo Lovrick or as I'm known as T-Love in paper manufacturing circles uh-huh. and with me as always I have a very debonair very slick very juicy young man who is known as the Lord Marshal or the what's the other one Lord Secretary no <laughs> The Lord Chancellor. The Lord Chancellor, yeah. <laughs> Secretary Chancellor, something like that. The Lord, <laughs> the Lord Chancellor, I don't know why I forgot that. Uh, or as he's known, Mr. Young Sean Quigley, or as he's known as the Quig in apple picking circles. Oh, yes, the scrumping market. Yeah. Scrumpers. Uh, yes, indeed. And actually, uh, to, to the Lord Chancellor side, about a week ago, uh-huh. I did a show at, at the castle. Yeah, of course. Uh, well, it's with the Chancellor, be quite frankly, with uh, another castle. And I did the entire show as the Lord Chancellor in Sean Connery's voice. Did you really? Yeah. That is so appropriate. Hours, I did the whole thing. You, really? Yeah. You are the Lord Chancellor like yeah. this. The best, the best part of the whole show, I must say is there's a section of the show when you're introducing the knights of the realm from all the different areas. Certainly. And the, the red and yellow knight, his, uh, his uh, entrance speech goes a little something like this. And I didn't even realize as I was doing it that it would be so apropos. But I'm sure you'll see when I do the speech as to why I got so excited as I was seeing it. Certainly. <laughs> Say this. To the miscreants and to the agents of unrest. No power on earth shall cast him aside, for he stands as immovable as the rock that stands upon the shore. Oh, that's like the Highlander and the rock. I and I'm so excited as I was doing it, I was like, I get to see the rock. I was like, I get John to the rock. The rock. <laughs> <laughs> That's... It made no sense. I did that. Everyone's looking at me, and I'm just doing the whole show. I'm just there, hoping the end of the whole show. I'm doing it like that. I'm like, yes, indeed, <laughs> Your Majesty. Ah, yes. Nice, splendid. Nice. If you happen to be at that show, I apologise. Um, as at least for the first ten minutes of the show, Her Majesty the Queen and the uh, the Lord Marshal were unable to deliver their lines, as I they. They were just laughing the whole time. I think. <laughs> Poor Queen doing your mistakes. They, did, they had no idea I was going to do it. And they, uh, I was just standing there like, what, what appears to be the matter, Your Majesty? Just, uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So it was a comedy show is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Very good. Well, folks, for those of you that do not know, uh, we are a podcast that watches the middle 20 minutes of little-known TV shows or movies, 
If it's foreign language, we turn off any uh, subtitles or dubbing, and we try to figure out what's going on by watching the middle 20 minutes of said show or movie. Yeah. At the same time, we review uh, adult beverages, if you will. We used to do local stuff, but we decided to expand our palate because we weren't... There, weren't, there wasn't enough local stuff compared to all the shows we've done. This is, after all, episode 59. Yeah. And um, so we decided to expand our palate to include breweries from everywhere and different adult beverages. And this episode, we are part of a multi-episode arc where we're repeating like we did last year in honor of the uh, recently played uh, Final Four series. We do a similar bracket countdown, and we call it the... Uh, What's going on here? Best tournament. Last year we did superhero movies. This year we are doing Bond movies. Bond movies, there are 26 movies, uh, two unofficial, 24 <laughs> official. And so we had an uh, interesting setup of the brackets, although our scientist friends at Los Alamos National Labs have confirmed that this is the fairest way to do it, where we went and we looked at the gross tickets of all the movies and we adjusted it all for inflation. We rank them, and there's two separate playoffs, well, three separate playoffs to get into the Sweet 16 of the Bond movies. Mm. Uh, for those of you ha who have um, followed our arc so far, you will know that we have gotten into the Sweet 16 entry playoff games, and the movies that are facing off to get into the Sweet 16 are The World Is Not Enough, which was ranked number 16, versus The Man With The Golden Gun, which is ranked number 19, and On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which is ranked number 15, versus Tomorrow Never Dies, which is ranked number 18. Yes. Now, today's drink, since we're starting to get into the hoity-toity, into the big time, mm -hmm. we have this, we've been doing beers and ciders so far. But today, since it's Sweet 16, and it is Bond, ah. we are doing... Uh, the all famous vodka martini shaken, not stirred. Yes, mm -hmm. and today we are doing it with Crystal Head Vodka and Noily Pratt Vermouth, or maybe it's pronounced Noily Pratt. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure, it's a French vermouth. Um, Crystal Head Vodka 40% ABV, and I believe it's a, a Canadian spirit. Yes, um. It's manufactured in Newfoundland in Labrador and Labrador, Canada. Huh. So, um, and Noili Pratt Vermouth. I will tell you in a second where that is from. Um, it's an extra dry vermouth, and I was looking up quality ones to see what's where it's from. And, oh, well, it's from France, but it's owned by Martini and Rossi. Hmm. But it is the archetype of dry straw-colored French vermouth. And it is, uh, the company is based in Marcelin, in the Gerault department of southern France. And it is a subsidiary of Bacardi Martini. Oh. Interesting. Interesting. So, and the way we did this, this is the straight-up vodka martini, the, 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 the Connery one. Because mm. there are t several martinis that people talk about, but the big ones with the Bond movies is the... Vodka martini, which is just uh, three to one vodka to vermouth. And then there's the Vesper martini that become, became big thanks to Casino Royale and, and, and Daniel Craig, mm. which is basically, I think it was uh, three parts gin, one part uh, vodka, and one part vermouth. Yeah. We are going, like I said, with the straight up Connery for this episode. 
which is the crystal head vodka, like we said, and, and Noali Pratt Vermouth. We have two different uh, vodkas and two different uh, gins that we can permutate depending on how many episodes we have. We have ours with little lemon rinds. So since the booze is the uh, uh, um, star of the show, shall we clink and uh, try Indeed. these? Let's yeah. clinky clinky. Okay, folks, here we go. Oh, that's very nice. Mm. Oh, that is. <laughs> that's really, really nice. Oh, wow. Oh, fuck the beers. <laughs> <laughs> we changed our mind. <laughs> this is now a martini show. <laughs> this is a martini show. Dude, I'm half tempted. Oh my goodness, this is nice, dude. That is good. And this wow. warms you up right away. Wow. Oh. This is... <laughs> wow, this is trouble, man. Yeah. This is really, really good. It is. Oh, man. Our poor livers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is very, very... Crystal Head Vodka with the Noali Pratt Vermouth and, and, and the lemon rind in it. Mm. That is good stuff. It is. It like, is. the heat instantly hits you. Yeah. Like, I don't know about you, but, like, my head is all warm now. Yeah. It's... This is really nice. It is very nice. This is really, really nice. It's like the best way to do a cocktail. It's like people don't understand it. My favorite cocktail traditionally is a Negroni. Okay. Which I love, which is gin, Campari. Right. And vermouth. Right. And, uh... I've and, never had one. Oh, you love it. Oh, you well, you know what? After that. the bomb thing, we're going to have yeah. to try the Negroni then. Go ahead. And, um... It was Anthony Bourdain's favorite cocktail. Okay. And I had tried it because I'd recently finished reading his book, and I was in Milan. Okay. And they were everywhere. Right. It's like the drink of Milan, the Negroni. Okay. So I was like, I'm going to have one. And I was like, this thing is amazing. And almost everyone I know that I've had it with since has not usually shared my taste in the sort of things I like, right. especially with the alcohol. And they're like, oh, I can't stand it. It's horrible. It's like, oh, it's so bitter. Because you know what? People don't like gin. Yeah. Yeah. And people are used to mixing their spirits with sweeter, like non alcoholic things. No. But this proves it. The Negroni proves it. And this proves it. The best thing to mix a spirit with it's is a spirit. another spirit. Absolutely. And oh. if you don't like, like, I don't like vodka, but you, you mix it together with... Uh, a what, little bit of vermouth? Vermouth. Well, let me tell you something. There's a drink that I picked up on in Salem, Massachusetts, and we're going to have to do it in one of the episodes. Mm. I think we might have to go into the spirits for a couple of episodes. We'll do the Negroni after the bomb things. It's called the Barbados Sunset. Huh. And whoever I made it for, mm. it instantly just goes, oh my God. Now, it gets mixed with a little bit of sweet. But it's not the same sweet. So what it is, is um, rum, like two shots of rum, a shot of Cointreau, uh -huh. and then you mix it with a ginger beer. Okay. An alcoholic ginger beer, not okay. a non-alcoholic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, a, um, a, what's, the, what's the one? Um, um, uh, I have it in the fridge and I can't fucking remember the name now. Crabbies. Uh, yeah. uh, oh, excuse me, I didn't know if you had it over here. Crabbies, yeah. thank you. You mix it with Crabbies. And then you add some Angostura bitters to it. Oh, okay. And this is just like, literally, and I mean, I tried this in, in Salem, Massachusetts. We were there for like Halloween. It was the thing. Salem, Massachusetts, yeah. obviously, witch trials, etc. So it was October in Salem, Massachusetts, actually almost November. And I had this, and I'm telling you, I was sitting in this restaurant, and I was like, I feel like I'm on the beach in, in freaking Barbados, because it was just, it was so warm. 
so just tasty. The whole thing is like, this is a drink, man. Yeah. And you have like two of them, and you're good for the night. It's just like I'm just relaxed. Everything's fantastic. And this kind of as an ap- a- aperitif, I can't think of a better one before oh, yeah. you start dinner yeah. than than like this. It's so dangerous. There's there's a a, a small chain of bars in London. It's mm. called Dirty Martinis. Okay. This is so goddamn dangerous. And it's like 15, 20 pounds for one drink. Right. You know. But you don't need more than one. Have, yeah. Oh my God. But it, 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 there's like 30 different martinis. And they're all sorts of variants for every taste that yes. you like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, and it's so dangerous. They're yeah. all so good. Yes. <sighs> yeah. Well, this is Crystal Head Vodka. Now, the vermouth is going to be the one that stays the same on, in, in our bond thing. Mm. Because why am I going to try all these different vermouth? Then it gets too complicated. Yeah. But I do have Crystal Head Vodka. I have Belvedere vodka that we're going to try next time. And then we have gins to mix up, being Hendrix and Monkey 47. Nice. And I know you enjoy your gin and your Negroni. Do you enjoy gin and tonics? Yeah. If you get a chance and you want to splurge, buy Monkey 47. Because mm-hmm. this is a buddy of mine from high school told posted on his Facebook page years ago. He used to be an assistant for uh, Emerald Lagasse. And he said, you have to get this gin. This is the best gin I've ever had. And I got the Monkey 47. Yeah. And you could just about drink it straight. It's that smooth. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, gin is really, you know, you got to be a hardcore lover to just drink gin straight. Yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. just like, that's not for everybody. It just isn't. And like, I, I consider your, your myself... mother's ruin, as they refer to it as. Exactly. I mean, I used to consider myself like quite the like, and gin straight is just like, ooh, no. It's yeah, like, yeah. you want to do a shot of gin? No, what are you, fucking crazy? <laughs> no, I don't. You know, where's yeah. the tonic? You're like, let's wash this down with something. Yeah. But Monkey 47 is that smooth. So that's going to be when we make the Vesper martinis yeah. that we're going to use that and, and the Hendrix and see the difference. But this is, I am very excited right now. I almost don't even want to talk about fucking Bond. I just want to so drink this martinis. drink. Yeah. That is so good. Well done, Noelle Pratt. I will butcher everything French that I say right now because I am a James Bond and uh, getting undercover, maybe. All right. So let's let's get to the nitty gritty of the show, shall we? Um, We have finalists to go into the Sweet 16, which is the main countdown for the Bond movies. We have The World Is Not Enough, Pierce Brosnan uh, from 1999, versus The Man With The Golden Gun, Roger Moore, 1974, and On Her Majesty's Secret Service, George Lazenby's uh, Foray, 1969, versus Tomorrow Never Dies, another Pierce Brosnan from 1997. Tomorrow Never Dies, that's with Michelle Yeoh. I enjoy that one because I think she's fantastic and I love everything she does. Mm. And uh, The World Is Not Enough is with, um, what's his name from The Full Monty? Robert Carlyle. Robert Carlyle. And um, uh, the French actress. Sophie Marceau. Sophie Marceau. She's, she's something. She's, she's, nice. she's fantastic. Yeah. I loved her in Braveheart. Mm. She was magnificent in Braveheart. She's, she's just a good actor. Her and, uh, what's her name uh, from Chocolat, uh, Juliette Binoche. Uh-huh. She's another fantastic, uh, but so is um, uh, Cotillard. What she's yeah, Mary Cotillard. and then Eva Green. Oh, oh Eva Green! Um, I didn't even Lens. know she was French. Yeah. She is really good. Yeah, I had no idea she was French. Her English accent was flawless. 
Yeah, I think she's made more movies now with an English accent than a French accent. Like she, they, everything she stick her in in America, she's got an English accent. It seems. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, I, I, I no, it, it was all of the Bob Hoskins when Who Framed Roger Rabbit came out. Yeah. yeah. I thought he was a dude from Brooklyn because yeah. he did that accent just so freaking well. And then I saw an interview. He's like. Right then, you know, it's, it's, it's very difficult to act against there's nothing there and you. I was like, like literally a kid in high school, I was just like, what the hell am I watching right now? Completely blown away. It's ironic so. we're talking about accents because the, the Bond movie I most recently watched is The World Is Not Enough. Uh, I was watching it before I came here today and I've, I've, only, I've got five minutes left of the movie. Uh-huh. Um, and one thing that fascinates me about Bond movies, and, I, and it, it's something you wouldn't usually notice, but I only noticed it because we're watching it on Netflix or Hulu and you pause and start and whatever. Sure, 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 sure. So I often see the amount of time that's left or whatever. Sure. There is a shocking amount of movie they managed to stick in every Bond movie in the last five minutes of the yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, almost any other movie I can think of, the last five minutes, it's all it's done. Yeah. It's like whatever. No. In almost every single James Bond movie, yeah. the entire climactic final third of the movie happens in the last five minutes. Yeah. Like, it's really weird how they pack it in. Yeah. But, um, same about accents. This movie is the worst accent movie for like multiple people doing which, terrible accents. Which one? Oh, the, the world, world is not enough? enough? Oh my God. The amount of terrible Russian accents in this oh, movie. Oh, yeah. Robert Carlyle is awful with the Russian Robert accent. Robert Carlyle is awful. Awful. <laughs> and I love it. I think he's a brilliant actor. Yeah. Fantastic. This is terrible and in Robbie this. Robbie Coltrane is awful. <laughs> awful. And I don't remember him being awful in GoldenEye, but I guess I haven't seen it recently. He was awful in GoldenEye. He was as well. Oh, the whole thing was awful in GoldenEye. In GoldenEye, if you remember, <laughs> his girlfriend is Minnie Driver. Ugh. And she's like on stage like singing. And... <laughs> this is the one that kills me. So they're in Russia. For some reason, they're all speaking English. Yeah, and I don't yeah, know yeah. why. Now, I get her singing. But she's like doing... She's doing a terrible girlfriend impersonator. She's like, she's going to be star one day. And Minnie Driver's like, stand by your man. And I'm like... Oh, God. It's so bad. And Alan Cumming's Russian in that as well. Yes. So you got Alan Cumming, Robert Carlyle, Alan and Robbie C- Coltrane... All Scottish accents. Fantastic doing actors. Russians. Why do they keep casting Scottish people as Russian? You know why? The rolling R. Yeah. That that's why. why. No, but that's totally so, why. It slips into Scottish so easily. In Robbie Coltrane's case, it is, there are multiple times in The World's Not Enough where he just speaks Scottish <laughs> and he doesn't know. He's like, oh, Bond, I can't believe you'd actually do that. <laughs> <laughs> like, a few times. I'm like, wait a second, like, Robbie. Go one more rollback. We're not in Edinburgh. What are you doing? <laughs> are you sure you missed the Bond? There is nothing I see here. <laughs> like, I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't now I have to go back yeah, and rewatch it because I didn't place. catch that. Yeah. Oh my god! No, I, I, it, it, it's the rolling R because when they don't have them, it's it's really bad. Yeah. But Alan Cumming is actually I thought his Russian was really no, good. No, his was really good. Was really good, except for bits and pieces where he yeah. and I was just like, no, yeah. a Slavic like a. It's one of those hard ones, even. Because when you go to, to various countries in Europe, and this is, I think, in, in the U.S., and I don't know how they view it in the U.K., but in the U.S., I don't think they appreciate it enough. Because Europe was such... There are so many different cultures, and there are so many different conquerors, and so many different empires over time. 
influences have just stayed. So when you go to a country like, for example, Croatia, and you go on the street, you're pretty much going to find somebody who can speak English. Yeah. And not just speak English with you like, oh, bedroom, good day. No, they'll have a full conversation with you. And it can happen in German. It can happen in Italian. It can happen, you know, German, Italian, English in particular, you know. Uh, you'll find somebody who can speak French. You'll find somebody who can speak Spanish. You'll find somebody who can speak Portuguese. And I think a lot of this happens throughout Europe. Uh-huh. Because a lot of people, they just they just travel, especially with the Mediterranean. That just seems to be a thing that like stayed from the Roman Empire, where people are just easy with the, the, they speak the various languages easily. Yeah, they just have an ear for it, whatever whatever the case may be. And I think uh, 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 in the U.S. they don't like appreciate that enough. So when you see something like that from a European perspective, or at least from a continental perspective. That in Russia, they're all like speaking English all the time. Like, that's what bothered me in GoldenEye. I was just like, what? No, they, he, he wouldn't. Coltrane would have turned to his henchmen. He's just, he wants me to do favor. <laughs> and they're all like, <laughs> I'm like, he would have said it in Russian. They yeah. all would have laughed. And then he would have turned around and spoken English. It's like, uh... I, I, a side note on that. I hate to rain on his parade. It's an amazing achievement. But there's a movie that recently came out, and it's I forgot what it's called, but it's something like the White Crow or the Black Crow or something like that. White Crow. White Crow. Ray Fiennes. Yes. His direct. It's his directorial debut. Yeah. Directed it, starring in it. Yep. It is set in Russia about yep. the defection of uh, the what's his name um, from the Bolshoi. Yeah, from the Bolshoi. Yeah. Um, and he is known. He's wanted to do this story for a few years, and in preparation for it, he went away and learned Russian. Right. Over the last five years. Ray Fiennes has learnt Russian fluently. Right. Because he knew he wanted to make this movie. Right. He wanted it to be set in Russia. He wanted it to cast Russian people. He knew he was going to be in it. Yeah. But he wanted to be able to speak Russian and direct in Russian and for the whole thing to be in Russian the entire thing. So that's how it should be. Right. I'm like, okay, that's very impressive. And dedicated, yeah, sure. dedicated. Sure. From a director's perspective. Sure. Well done that you did that. Yes. From an actor's perspective, though, unfortunately, he's completely got the wrong idea if he's all about immersion because I'm like as an actor I'm like what you don't understand is like however good you've got at Russian and this is something you might be able to speak to it might be more difficult for you now because it's been you know years a long, long time since right. you've been over here but as, as an actor I, I worked with a lot of um, actors when I was training who were from various places in Europe right um, and a very 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 common tool that would, would be done in acting classes is when it felt like they were getting blocked or they weren't doing something right, is the teacher would say, okay, just do everything you just did again, but do it in your own language. Language. Sure. And he's like, oh, oh, and they would get very subconscious. They'd be like, oh, you're not going to understand. Like, and they're like, that's fine. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But you'll understand and it will be in your own natural head voice. Right. And it will be natural. And so do it because that's how you think. Yes. You think in that language. Right. And however good you get English... Right. It's not your first language. Right. It's not the instinct you learn. It's not your inner voice. Whatever your inner voice language is, is the is the <coughs> language that you're going to get the best performance as an actor out of because that is the true voice. Yes. That, so that's... he's setting himself up. However good you, you are, yeah. you're a guy who's speaking a language that is not your yeah. natural language. It's, it's, it's one of those... It's what every good language professor tells you. To truly understand the language, you have to live in the country the language is from. Yeah. 
That's the only way. Because, like you said, you have to immerse yourself in it completely. Because you have to start thinking in the language. You have to start dreaming in the language. And then you get it. And, you know, there are people who are fluent and they'll get the grammar and the whole nine yards. But it's not quite there. And that's kind of one of the things. um, We were actually just talking about this today, uh, my wife and I. Um, There was a movie with Simon Pegg. And I forget the actress, but she was an American actress. But her English accent was really flawless. Uh-huh. And when I remember watching the movie, it was, it was like a rom-com of some sort. And when I first started watching it, I didn't think anything, you know, it's like, okay, it's a br- br- British movie, you know, I'm watching it. And then she would do these things that, you know, and especially to Annie, being from the UK, she was kind of like, now, again, with her, she's been here even longer than I've been yeah. in terms of... But she was just like, that's not what a Brit would do. You know, she's kind of like, what? And even me, I was just like, just from watching British TV, I was just like, well, that's not something Brits would do. It was like, unless things have changed that much. You know, there were certain things she did, like the way she like talked and the way she referred to people and she did a sandwich. It was very American. Mm. You know, I was just like, what the hell? And then I remember looking it up and I was like, Oh, she's an American actress. Yeah. She just has a fabulous ear for accents because at no point, like there wasn't any of that slipping of the accent. Uh, there, there was something I was watching the other, oh, Kit Harrington was on SNL uh-huh. and his American accent was just awful. <laughs> and every time he like tried to do an American accent, he had to go so far into character that it sounded cartoonish. Yeah. Like, oh, well, I'm never going to, and even then he was terrible. And I was just like, Kit, just fucking... Well, I mean, walk around Manhattan. You're going to find Australians and New Zealanders and South Africans and, yeah. and Brits all over the place. Just keep the fucking English accent. No one's going to think anything worse <laughs> of you, you know, yeah. unless you're in high school, in which case it'd be a little bit weird. But still, people bring their kids when they move. It, it was so bad that, that I was literally just like, it, it instantly drew me out of the sketch. Yeah, yeah. Like, I was, his accent is so bad, I can't pay attention to this. <laughs> <laughs> because now all I'm focusing on is the fact that his accent is terrible, mm. you know, and it's just like, and, and I get it. Some people can do accents. Some people can't, but I, I, that's just one of those things. I'm just like, no, 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 you can't. And like you said, it's like what, what the big thing for me, I found a tape of myself when I first got here. My brother, my brother came here a year before and my brother got into DJing and I love the idea of DJing. It's like, I've, I've always been like into music the whole night. And so I do these DJs and make these cheeses like, yeah, you're being rocked by DJ Tommy, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And then I remember years later, I found a uh, uh, um, tape of myself doing that. Now, the thing for me was, for people who don't know, I lived, I was born in West Germany, moved to the States when I was 10 months old, lived in the States until I was six, moved back to the former Yugoslavia, lived there until I was 13, and then came back to the States. So for me, English was a natural thing, and I heard it, but I couldn't hear my own accent. Mm. So people used to say, oh, you have the cutest accent. I'm like, what, what accent? Yeah. And I was like, I don't have an accent. And like my friends were like, yeah, you do. I'm like, what? What accent? You know? And I found a tape like, that I made in junior high school, and I was like in college, I think. And my ears started tearing at how thick my accent was. I sounded like Yakov Smirnov. I was like, oh my God. I was literally like, what the hell is this? You know? And then, of course, as an immigrant, if you don't know, you know, at home with my parents, I spoke Croatian all the time. And my accent was still fairly thick. 
So I'm kind of like in a, in a little bit of a ghetto neighborhood in New York City, you know, growing up. And so I'm hanging out with a bunch of Latino kids and whatever. And so I pick up that like New Yorkian accent. And then I have my little thick Slavic accent. And I, when I met Annie, I still had that accent because at home I spoke Croatian all the time, exclusively. Yeah. You know, Annie and I have been together now for decades. And I don't speak Croatian on a daily basis. Sometimes it makes me feel nostalgic because like I'll forget a word, you know, or my father will be like, that's, that's not the word. And I'm like, what's the word? And, you know, and he kind of, he gets sad but chuckles a little bit. And then I get sad because I made him upset that I'm forget, you know, all of this, like, yeah. stupid, like, psychological thing kicks in, you know. But, I mean, when I went Annie, I still, like, my R's were still pretty thick and my D's were really, you know, there. And my R and my L's were, the L's. And she said, you could always tell a slob because their L's are very thick. Yeah. Because you really do the L, like, because, you know, L. Is the letter in, in? It's not L. It's L. Yeah. So you really like lay it on. You know, it's uh, the T's. The T's weren't very sharp, but but that was my thing. My thing was always like because I went at such a funny age um, that my Croatian accent wasn't ever quite fully Croatian, uh-huh. and then my English accent wasn't ever quite fully English. Yeah. Whereas my brother was born in Croatia. He lived in Croatia until we. He was four and then moved and so and he he had a better ear so my brother when we'd move countries his accent would come back a lot faster yeah and in croatian he sounded like a kid who grew up in croatia and in the u.s he sounded like a kid who grew up in the u.s and i always kind of like stood out like a sore thumb you know it's like <laughs> but you're a perfect absolute... spy no one knows where you're from well that was part of it i i remember actually my first job or my second job out of college i got sent to training to work on a medical piece of equipment down in Dallas. And it was a bunch of women, nurses, that were worked in labs and stuff like that. And they were from like Alabama and Mississippi, whatever. And I'm talking, <laughs> I remember. And of course, you know, I'm just out of college. I'm excited. I'm on my first business trip, the whole nine yards. I'm young. I'm thin. I'm in the shape, the, the whole spiel. And, and the nurses, and the nurses are probably in their like late 20s, early 30s. But they're all moms and whatever, and some of them are a little bit heavy, you know, that kind of stuff. But we're all drinking, having a good time, because someone's paying for all the food and drink, and what do we care? And one of them says, like, she says, oh, now where did you get your accent? That's really pre- peculiar. <laughs> and one of the other women says, is it the same place where you got your body? <laughs> and I was kind of like halfway through a drink, and I was kind of like, <laughs> you know, like standing looking like, um, okay, you know, and I'm like 20 two, three at the time, and I'm kind of like, uh, what? <laughs> you know, like, I didn't know where to put myself. I was like, oh, uh, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, so. my dad's balls. The answer to both of those things. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> exactly, right. So, so yeah, the whole thing with the language is that you really have to, you kind of have to live in the country to truly learn it. Mm-hmm. Like, Annie's German was flawless, but she went to school in Austria. Yeah. You know? And even then, she said, like, when she spoke with her friends in Austria, it was the worst, like, Austrian slang and whatever, you know, it wasn't like the Hochdeutsch that they all, like, talk about and whatever, but, you know, her German was really, really, really good. Now, of course, she hasn't used it regularly, but, like, she was good enough where if we walk and we hear people speaking German, she could tell right away if somebody's from Austria or from Germany, Mm. like, you know, because you hear it. And like you said, it was like, immersion is great, but unless you're living there... I mean, yeah. your other option is to live with somebody who speaks Russian, mm. exclu- who's a native speaker. Mm. 
that's your other option. And I mean, a lot of times the teachers are natives from, you know, uh, I, I, I met a lady who's from Japan, actress. She's been in Miss Saigon and all sorts of stuff. And one of the reasons she was like, one of her problems for breaking further into the industry is that her accent is still thick. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, you kind of have to, I said, what do you do as your day job? She's like, I teach Japanese. I'm like, oh, well, that's kind of going to be hard to lose the accent if you're immersing yourself in Japanese every day. Yeah. You know, very talented, great actress, superb dancer and choreographer, but you know, but yeah, yeah, it's, that one was, like I said, Coltrane's in, in, in the world is not, it was just terrible. It was kind of like, is he supposed to be, in fact... I remember watching and thinking, like, is he Russian? Or is he supposed to be Bulgarian? Or is he supposed to be, like, Turkish? I don't know what's going on. You know, like, his accent was just throwing me. Yeah, I think they purposely keep his character a little bit obscure with that. They don't really talk about... They even say, because he's popped up in all these places, they say at one point, um, they say, like, yeah, he's been spotted. He's an international terrorist. Over the past, like, recently he's been dealing with the service, but before that he was in Afghanistan. Right, and right. He's right, also right. been in Bosnia. Yeah. And Iraq. And yes, Iran. yes, yes, yes. And then, yes, yes. And then Pierce Brosnan goes, oh, all the romantic. All the spots. romantic getaways. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. Yes, exactly. So it's just all the evil accents put into one place. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Where have there been atrocities? He's from there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, in terms of movies, so I guess that's the one we're starting with World is Not Enough and Man with the Golden Gun. Hmm. Um, this... it was interesting as well it's very t- telling of the time Denise Richards pops up in The World's Not Enough right when she does she's literally kitted out as Lara Croft in Tomb Raider she is she's wearing exactly the yes. Lara Croft hat. she's wearing little shorts jean shorts she's got like a combat belt yep. and boots with high socks and like the yep. crop top yep. and the hat like literally straight up no 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 they're like okay you're Lara Croft that's yes. who you are yes and it's so silly to me. If they had made her an archaeologist, I'd be like, okay, yeah, because yeah, you're digging and you're in the mud. Sense. Sure. But she was a freaking geologist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a geologist for like uh, uh, oil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very strange. It was, it was a weird choice. Yeah. It was a weird choice. It, it's funny. It, it's like this is part of like my own prejudice when before I saw it again. I remember thinking like, oh, she was just kind of the bimbo role. And she wasn't really actually that bimbo-y. She really wasn't. No, she was a little more, um, you know, she was, she was kind of, she sort of saves the day and she like diffuses the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the point was, they didn't push that far enough, I thought. Well, I think like as a scientist. Denise Richards is not a really good actor. Right. She's beautiful. She is. Um, but she, Unless... she's not quite a skilled enough actress in my eyes to no. pull off that character. No, she wasn't. And also, I think her being American affected it. I feel like if you had a British girl playing that role, it would have been a little more believable. Like, I don't know. Well, I mean, but but we've talked about this before, like the difference in acting between the US and, 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 and the UK. Yeah. Most actors in the US, um, when, when, when they go for Hollywood and TV, they go to be famous. Yeah, yeah. I shouldn't say most, because that, that's generalizing, especially now that I'm in acting and in the theater. There's tons of just... Fabulous actors, especially in the U.S. theater community. And what ends up happening, they end up getting really nice careers being just character actors on various TV shows, movies, etc. Mm. And they're really fantastic actors, but for whatever reason or another, 
big producers, big studios, they don't want to cast them as leads in anything. Yeah. And they're just, they're as good as any other actor you'll find on the planet, in my opinion. You know, you just have them. And they never have the fame of your Will Smith, of your uh, Brad Pitt, or whatever. In the, and, and part of it, like I said, part of it in the U.S., it's all about, like, when people think, oh, actor, oh, you're just silly and trying to be, like, a pageant winner. That's what you're trying to do. Whereas in the UK, it's been, since Shakespeare's day, this is a profession. Mm. You know, you're a cobbler, you're the mailman, you're a milkman, you're an actor. Great. Now, I don't know whether the attitudes have changed of that or not, but it's accepted as a profession. Like, you'll get a yeah. job. You know, and, and like I said, like a lot of times, like for my own self-discovery getting into the industry, you don't think about like, what are all the jobs you can have as an actor? Mm. You know, you think, oh, unless I'm on TV or in a movie or on a Broadway play and that's it. No, there's tons of other acting jobs to do, you know, yeah. commercials, um, voiceovers, you know, all these other things that you could do as an actor that people like. And, and of course, somebody brought up a thing with, which I thought was great. People always say like, oh, acting is really hard. You really get nowhere. And I laugh at it because... No, I came out of, as, out of college as a kid with a science degree. You know where I got? Nowhere. Because there were no jobs in the freaking science field when I came out of school. So I was making 11 bucks an hour working third shift yeah. to get that 11 bucks an hour. Otherwise, I would have been making 9 bucks an hour. So there's the glamour of science right there. So I don't see why it would be any different for any other profession. Mm. You start at the bottom, unless you've gone to uh, uh, Harvard or something. But even then, if you've gone to Harvard, they're not going to make you the fucking CEO. They're going to make you the schlep. They're going to pay you a shitload of money, but you're still going to be a schlep. You know, my mom worked for J.P. Morgan Chase, and she said these kids came from Harvard, but they were in the freaking building 16 hours a day. Oh, yeah. Keep your fucking job. I don't want to be there 16 hours a day. But that's this, these are the sacrifices that they were making. Now, they were getting paid ridiculous amounts of money. They just <laughs> never had any time to enjoy that money mm -hmm. because they were at work 16 hours a day. And, and so, and, I, and that's why I think you're absolutely right. I think... I mean, I don't, I, I don't know what kind of acting background Denise Richards has, but judging on her looks, I'm guessing not she's much of one. a model. I imagine, I bet she was a model of going Probably, probably. Uh, Undercover Brother, I thought she was fabulous in. Yeah. I don't know if you ever saw the yeah. movie. <coughs> she has great comedic timing. That was great, but you're right. In this movie, and I absolutely agree, I, I think a British accent, actress would have served better in this movie because hmm. it's one of those things... When they tried to portray scientists. I was like, I'm like, you save Mini Driver from Goldeneye and stick her in this movie instead and that would already have been better. Probably. Probably. Yeah. You're, you, <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. So, I mean... But I mean, Denise Richards is very good to look at, though. She's... I'm like, okay. Are you, right. Uh, and, and that's part of it. And, and let's face it. And this is what we were saying in the last episode. These movie studios are in the money of making business, not of making art. Yeah, yeah. So if they can get somebody who's super hot and really easy to look at, they're going to put them in. Whether it's a man or a woman. Yeah. You know? So it's like, will this per does this person sell the tickets? Mm. I mean, look at The Rock. <clears throat> well, you know what? The Rock is not a good example because he has his own production company, so he like pushes himself a lot, and that's a different story. But, you know, something similar. It's like, put Clooney in it. They're expecting it to make money. Yeah. I said, well, at this point, you know, Clooney isn't quite the heartthrob. Everyone still, everyone thinks he's a super silver fox and all that. But it's like to get the youth. Because the, there's a reason why all their, um, uh, 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 what do they call them, focus groups and whatever, it's always like 18 to 35 or mm -hmm. 18 to 40, whatever. It's just like, 
Well, that's who you're trying to appeal to. You're not going to appeal to somebody like that with a 60-year-old guy. Yeah. You know, unless it's a really established name. You know, Tom Cruise is holding on to that fucking candle as long as he can burn it, you know. Yeah. It's like he's doing stunts and breaking ankles and he's, how old is he now? 58? Yeah. 55, something like that, you know. It's like he's he wants to hold on to it forever, but not everyone can do it. Yep, no, it's true. No. But, um... But yeah, no, I thought, you know, she, like I said, whatever. She, was, she wasn't she wasn't that bad, but she was, you know. She wasn't that bad, but she wasn't that good. Sophie Marceau was a lot better. Um, but Sophie Marceau was very good. She, you know, it was an interesting twist, making uh, the, the first, you know, Mon girl in it, the, the baddie. You know, she's kind of like the big baddie in the end, really. And it's like, mm-hmm. Honestly, she's the, f- come to think of it, is she the first, like, female villain? That's the lead female? That's well, the lead villain? I mean, Octopussy was kind of a villain, and then she wasn't. She but she wasn't. Switched. She was the anti-hero, if anything. Yeah. Same as... Yeah. As the main... Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think. Was there any other female villain? Not main villain. I mean, no. main day. You know, sure, sure, fish. sure. But technically, Robert... Robbie Carlyle was supposed to be the main villain, wasn't he? But he wasn't. She was the mastermind. Yeah, because what it ended up being is that she'd manipulated him right. to do everything for her. Right. On behalf of her. Right. Make it look like he had kidnapped her right. so she, they, she could make all this money. And he thought, because James Bond initially thinks that it was Stockholm Syndrome on her part. Right. And that she's turned bad because he turned her bad. Right. But then realizes that all along she was manipulating Carlyle. Right. And he was doing it all for her bidding because he knew he was going to die anyway. Right, exactly. I think she was the only female yeah, mastermind. Hmm. Right? Because I can't... Should I'm... have expected it from the French. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't think of... Well, I mean... Uh, uh, in Casino Royale, she was kind of the mastermind, but she wasn't the evil guy in the end. And her f- end was so tragic... You know, where he tries to get her out of the elevator. Oh yeah. Um, I'm looking through this, and I can't think of anyone else. No. Yeah, there was no other female. Like really, that was the only one. Yeah, I think the you're world right. is not enough. Yeah. Um, pretty good song. I like the song by Garbage. That was a nice song. I really, really enjoy that song by Garbage. Yeah. I, I, that is one of my favorite of the modern. You know, of the Pierce Brosnan era uh, 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 songs. Mm. That is definitely one of my favorites. The, the, the best part of the movie, in this my eyes, is the opening. The opening of the movie is generally really good. Like the opening um, sequence. Which one was the, the opening sequence race. on that one? Where they're racing the boats uh, across the Thames, past like Big Ben and everything. And oh, yeah, 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 really yeah. Good. Very good. It gets good. ridiculous to a certain degree. It gets to, it's a little I, silly, but. They always do the. I don't know. And, and the boat has wheels, and he's driving around the streets of London with a boat. And then he, he didn't even have wheels. That was the whole thing. It was yeah. just the jetpack was pushing it. Yeah, yeah. It was just so stupid. They did the same thing yeah. in, ironically enough, in the man with the golden gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then yeah. no, it wasn't. No, that, that that was in Live and Let Die. I'm sorry, I'm thinking Live and Let Die. Yeah, where they've gone across land with the boats. Um. And uh, <laughs> and, and, and but it's a great set piece, you know. And then he ends up, and she gets up, and he surprise, surprise, she ends up in the hot air balloon. <laughs> <laughs> that's right that that, <laughs> that getaway of choice when you really are in a rush yeah. getting a fucking hot air balloon <coughs> yeah 
and then you know me whoa me falls that's the opening's great great set piece it is it really aside is aside from that I would argue that at least so far based on what I've seen I think it does get worse for him but I think this is possibly the weakest Bond performance acting wise out of any of the movies I think Pierce Brosnan in The World's Not Enough is so not trying like he he seems it looks so tired throughout the whole film like I really don't think he's I, I don't know he looks he looks so turned off Gold Knight he was like it was fresh it was cool he was young Tomorrow Never Dies I remember with fondness at the time I'm I was sure. right, it was the first movie I watched as a kid and yeah. was like yeah um, but this one by the time this kicked in like he was kind of like I feel like he was over it already uh, it just seemed a little like yeah. I, I mean I wouldn't very dry I film. wouldn't say it's the worst of all the Bonds in terms of Bond performances I mean Octopussy Rushmore was really mailing it in yeah, yeah. you know and Diamonds Are Forever Connery was kind of oh, mailing yeah, it in yeah, 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 you know so, but in terms of the Pierce Brosnan bonds, I would definitely say this is the weakest one. Yeah, it, it's. I and I, I can't quite put my finger on why. It wasn't the last one because the last one was uh, a die another day. Yeah, I I, I, I don't know. Like it just uh, <clears throat> something about it. Like it's a weird. If you look, there's a lot of there's a lot of people who have done what we've done in a lot simpler way, just racks the movies. Sure, I've looked at a few of them, and it's it's often the common denominator for last place, or at least in the bottom two or three is this movie. The world's not enough. A lot of people agree this is one of the worst movies, um, and I see why. But I mean, there are great things about it. Like I said the set piece is very good. Yes, there are moments that are nice. Is a cute. It's the last movie with Q. Uh, Robert Wellman. Yeah. It's a cute little send off. He has a nice little bit where he's yeah. like, you know. Yeah. Oh, I've taught you two things, and like never let them see you bleed. And oh, what's the other? Like you know, always have an exit plan. And they like press a button and just yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, that's cute. Um, but it, yeah, there's just a lot of uh, weird, awkward. Even down to like the, the the gadgets that he uses in it are recycled from the other movies as well. It's like there's nothing. Um, yeah, the remote control car. Yeah, yeah, I was like, yeah. that the car? It's just the upgraded version of the Z. It was like the Z. Yeah, the, the Z3. The yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the Z4 yeah, yeah. this time. Yeah, yeah. It's just the same yeah, deal. Yeah. I'm like, oh. The, the only like new gadget was the stupid jacket that John Cleese. And the whole point was just to have a set piece where John Cleese like gets to look like a yeah, like a form. look like a doof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so that yeah, so that was a little like here. Yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of a disappointing movie. I uh, I don't know. And what I feel is it's wasted because Robert Carlyle's the idea of that baddie is so great. Yes, it's completely wasted. I yes. mean, it's it's mad. Yes, as the woman, the scientist woman, is explaining, the bullet entered his medulla oblongata. Yeah, and uh, and initially I'm like, okay, and it's he's not dead. But he, it is one bit by bit. It's moving its way into his brain, and he is eventually going to die. He's losing his senses yeah. as it travels through his brain. Right. Like, okay. I yeah. guess I can buy that. Right. And that's one thing. So, so, so he doesn't. He can't smell. You know, he doesn't feel pain. I'm right. Like, okay. You say losing his senses. I'm thinking going blind, going deaf. <laughs> <laughs> like the bad parts of losing your senses. He's gradually losing his senses. 
like you can't feel any pain. She doesn't say anything else. Right. I'm like, okay. Yeah. I guess that's the. I guess that's it's... good. Um, and then she says, so each day, and he is going to kill him eventually, but until that day comes, he only gets stronger every day. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, that's where the science disappears. Yeah. He's losing senses every time, but he's getting stronger every day. I'm like, no, no he's not. No, he's not. <laughs> that's crazy. No, he's not. Right. <laughs> what, right. It, but in it, theory, it's, that's a great the, idea. It's, it, you know what it was? It was delivered wrong. Yeah. And if you ask me, from just a science point of view, what she should have said, like, his, he can't feel pain. He's losing his sense of touch, like, or his, sen- his the sensations of pain, yeah. which makes him incredibly dangerous because it, it's almost like he's on PCP all the time. Yeah. He doesn't feel fatigue. He doesn't feel p- pain. He could crush every bone in his body and he'll keep coming at you. Yeah. And let's face it, that's like when the crazy kicks in and you're terrified because you just crushed the guy's skull and he keeps coming at you swinging your fist and you're like, whoa, 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 what? Yeah. why does this guy keep fighting, you know? That would have been, but like you said, he keeps getting stronger. He's like, why would he get stronger? Yeah. Is he taking steroids? I don't, I don't get it. You know, <laughs> is he taking HGH? What's happening? <laughs> in reality, he just dies in his sleep having drowned from checking on his blood because he, he bites his tongue in his sleep and doesn't feel it. Yeah. He just keeps gnawing on his tongue. <laughs> like, ah, ah, <laughs> exactly. Or he cuts himself really badly, doesn't feel it, gets an infection and dies <laughs> because he has no idea he's hurt himself. It turns out it's actually a good thing to be able to feel things. <laughs> it's sepsis. Yeah. Sep- he hasn't sep- drunk any water for four days but has forgotten. Because he has no headaches, he has no sensation. He's dying of infection because he's pissed and crapped himself. And he hasn't realised it. And he's sitting in his own filth. Yeah, he doesn't know when he needs to be. He's constantly pissing himself. So he catches a cold. Oh my god. Exactly. Okay, I think I know where we're going with this movie. Which movie we're choosing? I here. would like to see. I'd love to see that character in a Roger Moore movie, because you just know Roger Moore would have killed him by like slicing his his head off, and he wouldn't have even noticed. <laughs> right. like, he'd have like sliced it. They'd be doing a sword fight, slices, and he's like, "Ah, Mr. Bond, you can never beat me." And he's like, no, can't I? And then just like pushes his head. And it just falls off. And, like, oh. and the head would keep talking in a Roger Moore movie. That's a problem. Yeah. And he'd be like, oh, seems like you're on top of things, aren't you, it chap? Seems like I've, uh, seems like you're a bit legless. Like, huh? <laughs> cut his legs off. <coughs> okay. Well, I mean, when, when broken down like that, the world is not enough, Pierce Brosnan versus the man with the golden gun, like we talked about in the last episode, yeah. which was quite possibly the best of the Roger Moore movies. Mm. Even though it got like shit reviews, again, on Netflix, like they gave it one star. I'm like, yeah. wait, what? No, 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 no. What, what are you talking about? I, I, I say the man with the golden gun. Yeah, no, it has to be. <clears throat> There's so many things in that movie that are good. Classic... Islands retreat. Yes. Like. Yes. And you know what? Uh, what I always thought it's was so interesting. simple because he's as a bad guy, his mastermind plan like it's nothing crazy. Like it makes sense. Yes, of course. Like he's just like I'm the world's best killer. Yeah. And, and I want to kill Bond. It's like Highlander. It's just yeah. I yeah. want to be the only one. Yeah. And, and the little solar thing with it's all so the energy cool. is is just a bonus. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's like here's a gong gun. It's like it's not magic. Yeah. It's like no, he's like, I have these gong bullets made because I make a million dollars every time I kill. Every time I kill. Like to make a point. Anyway, it's like to my put, business card. To put that in perspective, this is the movie came out in nineteen seventy four. Mm-hmm. In nineteen seventy four, a million dollars is probably the equivalent of I wanna say like thirty million today. Yeah. So you made thirty million dollars a hit. Yeah. You know. And every time you did it, I mean, the fact that you have that much money, that you have a gun made of freaking gold, and you have your bullets made of gold. Yeah. It's like, what? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I do realistically is take off that third nipple, but whatever. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, but but that's personal choice. Who knows? Maybe that's where where Knickknack is (laughs) getting his jollies. Who knows? (laughs) All right, so the man with the golden gun takes... so. Really? Is this our first upset of the tournament? No. <coughs> oh, no, no. Doctor No lost to um, to my name dies. Uh. Well, technically, that wasn't an upset because Tomorrow Never Dies made more money than oh, Doctor No. Wise. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. But let's see. The man with the, the golden gun. Yeah. The uh, the man with the golden gun beat for your eyes only. So that was technically the first uh, upset. So. Man with the golden gun, two upsets in a row. Huh. So there we go. All right. And now on to On Her Majesty's Secret Service versus Tomorrow Never Dies. Mm. And I know you said song-wise, um, you enjoy Tomorrow Never Dies, Sheryl Crow's song. Uh-huh. I didn't think that much yeah. of it. I mean, I didn't think it was bad, but I didn't... People, apparently, one thing I read recently, I didn't realize, apparently Moby did a remix version. Apparently it's excellent. Apparently it was like it should have been the version. Really? Yeah, like maybe did um, a version of the song. Huh. Apparently it's really good. I haven't heard it, but no, I haven't heard it. Either. Talking about it, um, it's funny we talk about Bond song. I was recently listening to because there was supposed to be uh, Radiohead recorded were asked to record the song for Spectre. Okay. And they went and recorded a song, and it's called Spectre. Yeah. Um, and they rejected it, and they gave it to. Sam Smith, who did the Writings on the Wall song that won the Oscar that year. Yeah. I personally actually love that song. I know a lot of people hate that song. I remember when it came out, people were like, this is a bottom. This is terrible. Right. I really like that song. But the Radiohead song is terrible. I listened to it the other day because I was curious. I'm like, oh, Radiohead, they're off it. And like, they did it. And they released it on their album because they recorded it anyway. Sure. And it's just called Spectre for no reason. Right. It's so bad. Yeah. It's a great example of a band thinking they're bigger than Bond, I think, where Radiohead are like, okay, well, we're just going to do shit. Radiohead. Yeah, and you came to us no. and that must be what you want. It's like no, you need to go out of your way to make a Bond song. Yeah, it's, it's, it is awful. I'm like, yeah. how could you ever have that be a Bond theme? It's so, it's, it's so wanky right But but I, I I mean, and part of it is like basically since Live and Let Die, right? Arguably the best of the Bond songs. They've had just more hell of a lot more misses than hits. Yeah. Right. We talk about a view to a kill, which was fantastic, which is a bonafide like yeah. pop chart hit. Uh, the living daylights. They tried to repeat it, lightning in a bottle. You know, went from Duran Duran to Aha. And personally, I really enjoy the living daylights as a song. I think it's uh-huh. really, really fun and very, very bondish. Just like the rhythm and and the cadences in it, and really good. But after that, is there really a Bond song that made a hit ever? Oh, the God knows. Pretty big at the time, I think. It was? Oh, no, no. oh <laughs> Tina Turner, that's right. No, but 
It, it it never made the charts, or if it did, it was so low that it never got really a lot it was of airplay. Shirley Bassey. What? Shirley Bassey. It the was Shirley Bassey song. Yeah. I thought it was. I thought it was Tina Turner. No, it's Shirley Bassey. Are you sure about I that? Think so. Maybe not. Well, let me see. Maybe it's Tina Turner. I thought it was Shirley Bassey. I thought it was. You could be right. I I thought it was Tina. It sounded like Tina Turner. No, it's Tina Turner. Oh. oh. Okay, I feel less patient to it now. No, no, no. Oh no, she did. What was it? She did another one, because obviously she did Diamonds of Forever and um, and Goldfinger. But then she did another one. It wasn't as good. On the other bonds. Okay. Um, I haven't gone gun. Not a great song. That was a uh, Lulu. Yeah. So her. many of these were just terrible. Forgettable. Uh, uh, Octopussy, song. the man with the golden gun. Um, um, uh, for your eyes, for your eyes only was just sad. Dr. No didn't have anything because they weren't doing a thing yet. No. Um, I don't even remember who did Never Say Never Again. Tomorrow Never Dies, Cheryl Crow. The Living Daylights, that was a fun one. A View, to, uh, view to Kill, obviously Duran Duran. License to Kill was like, they got Gladys Knight to do it, and it was a very forgettable song. It wasn't yeah. very enjoyable at all. And then On Her Majesty's Secret Service was just some, just like, it was so, a lot of the like more ones, particularly because it yeah, was the yeah. 70s, were so schmaltzy. Uh-huh. And they carried over into the 80s. They tried to do these like soul singer versions and they were just like, no, stop. Just stop. Because w- one of the things that I actually enjoyed in To Live and Let Die, obviously, uh, uh, um, Wings, you know, Paul McCartney with Wings doing Live and Let Die. They did like uh, uh, in, in the movie itself, they're, they're in one of the uh, bars and I forget if it was the one, I think it was the one in New Orleans, not the one in Harlem. The, a singer singing. Yeah, yeah. And she's doing actually kind of a kick-ass version of it. I'm yeah, like, yeah. I'm really enjoying this version of Live and Let Die. And, you know, it was just kind of like, okay, this is like almost like a double whammy. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that was the case, but I'd love to see if they put both songs on the album for the movie. Because it was good. But like a lot of these others, they were so, I so schmaltzy. I like my favorite ones. I, from Russia With Love, I Love. I love that song. I think it's a really good song. It was, um, I just, you know, I, just, oh, I didn't I think much of it. I didn't think much of it. Um, but then I really like a big fan of, um, All Time in the World, great song, Louis Armstrong. Uh, which one was that from? Um, I don't know. Which one is that? We're gonna the time in the world. <laughs> I, I, oh, actually, I think that's my secret service. And oh, like, was it? Oh, it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is because he even says to yes. him, "Oh, we've got all the time in the world." That's, that's right. The that's right. That's says, right. Yes, is, you're, yeah. ab- you're absolutely okay. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. I I like that song, and um, but then um, but that's you that. only live you only live twice is great theme with that reoccurring. Yes, yeah, that's a lovely piece. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great yeah uh, that theremin thing and that um, that that almost like classical. I think my fa- maybe my favorite Bond theme, but I think Live and Let Die is probably the best. It's just written songs. But I think my favorite might be um, Marvin Hamlish, the only one that he wrote. Um, Nobody does it better. I, I love that song. That that actually speaking of seventy schmaltz, oh. yes, that one is fantastic. And it's such a clever song because they she sings the Spy Love Me, but it's so like incidental. It's not the name of the song. 
And it's all the way through the film, is yes. nobody does it better. Yeah. And it's perfect. It's about Bond. And yes. it's like. Yeah. No, that. You're right. I totally forgot about that one. And that one is. And that's fantastic. a song that I knew the song before I knew it was a Bond song. Yes. I knew the song and I didn't even realize it was a Bond song. Yeah. And when someone said it was, I'm like, huh? I, I, the same thing happened to me. I was just like, and I remember singing it. I was like, oh, this is a Bond song? And I remember yeah. hearing it go, like, I had no of idea. It's Marvin Hanna show, and it's straight out of the book of like memory. Yeah. That sounds exactly the same as yep. the songs. That Absolutely. The time. Absolutely. That's a really good song. It is a and really Carly good song. Simon, it's just, it's just a really cool. So I think it's one of the best openings. It's a really good. Um, it kicks in a dun 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 dun. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, that, that is fantastic. Um, on Her Majesty's Secret Service versus Tomorrow Never Dies. Tomorrow Never Dies, and I've said this in a couple of prior episodes, when I rewatched it, I was amazed at how just timely it is for today. Yeah. Considering it was made in 97. Yeah. Like the whole thing about a media mogul just trying to instigate a war just to get fucking ratings. And it's just like, oh my God, this is like today's news cycle. Yeah. You know, it's really, really good. Um, uh, I enjoy Michelle Yeoh. And they've done it in The Man with the Golden Gun. And it's so funny. They tiptoed around the Chinese always with Bond. Uh -huh. They've never made the Chinese the bad guys. They're kind of like, they help the bad guys, but they really don't get involved. Yeah. Kind of like, they, they've always done that. So this was like the cooperation. And this was like, I think, probably the first Bond where the quote-unquote Bond girl is as much of a badass and can pretty much keep... I shouldn't say that, no, because... The spy who loved me, technically, she was as good a, 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 a agent as Bond was. Yep. Barbara Bach playing playing Agent Triple X. Yeah, yeah. She was, but but I really enjoyed. Like I said, Michelle Yao. I and I Diana Regan, the Magic Service. I mean, she's not kick-ass in that she's not like an agent. No. But as far as strong-willed character. Yes. Like she tames Bond. She's she like, does. She well, it's not even so much she tames. What what attracted him was the fact that she was like. What's the matter? Why, you, like, when she meets him, when he's trying to get away from Blofeld and he's in the carnival, mm. like on that ice skating rink, she's like, "What are you doing here?" And he's yeah. like, I, I, "I'm in trouble." She's like, "Oh, we need to get away." And then she drives and she gets away, and he's like, "This chick's impressive because she's just like, you know, yeah, some some mob king's daughter." But well, she's like, it's the first time ever where it's like Bond is kind of chasing her. Yeah, she's not, you know, it's kind of like it's... initially, but after that. She falls heads over, yeah, which yeah. was kind of like stupid. She falls heads over heel in love with him. And she does that that trope that they always have. Like when a woman says like, oh, he'll marry me. He just doesn't know it yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was kind of like, why, well, why are you cheapening with, but, you know, it was 1969, blah, blah, blah. The, you know, it's like, okay, I get it. But you're right. In terms of characters, she really was the first Bond girl that was like, all right, let's get away. Let's do this. Until until Daniel Craig comes around, this is the only movie that has that is directly both references other movies and is referenced to later on in other movies. It's the only like Lynchpin movie that has a direct reference. Like you said in the beginning, he goes in his drawer and he has oh. the items from the other movies. Yeah, directly referencing other movies. It opens up the montage of the other movies, and then. After this movie, in uh, it's it's um, Roger Moore, it's either for your eyes only. I think it's for your eyes only. Pretty sure it is. There's a scene where he goes and leaves flowers 
on the grave yes. of his dead wife. Yes. yes. And it's her, and he puts them there. Yes. And then actually, a movie or two before that, also Roger Moore, he's talking to a girl, uh-huh. and she he's pretending to be someone else, and she knows it's Bond, and she's like, oh yes, James Bond. And she's like, huh? He's like, yeah, James Bond, born, blah, 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 uh, you know, graduated, da, 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 uh, one wife, deceased, and then he like stops her. He's like, one wife deceased, 1969. And he's like, no. He's like, don't talk about that or something. And that was another Roger Moore. Couple of, so twice in the Roger Moore's, they referenced this movie. There's another reference from On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which I caught. Because ah. the whole thing, his cover was this genealogist that, that studies family histories. Yeah. Who's supposed to be gay. Yeah. And Scottish. And, and, and wears his kilt wherever he goes. And he's wearing the upper half of the Austin Powers outfit. Yeah, so pretty, pretty much. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the blue crushed velvet. So when he first goes and consults the guy to find out, to see what he needs to do, he says, oh, and, and, and Bond talks to Emma. He says, oh, I'm fascinated subject genealogy. I always want to find out about my own family. You know? And he goes to the guy and the guy says, oh, yes, I found your family crest here. And apparently, Bond is from royalty from way back when. And you know what they're... And, and they show the crest, and I forget the colors of the crest. But do you know what the family motto was written in Latin? Um, oh, uh, yeah, it, oh. It's one of the Roger Moore movies. Nope. Oh, no. no. It's one of the Pierce Brosnan movies. Oh, the world is not enough. The world is not enough. Yes, because he says it as well. <laughs> yes, in the world is not enough. He it's actually says it. He actually says the world. Is, that's a great family motto. The world is not enough. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> when I rewatched it, so they pulled that. So they like to like make yeah. re- obviously references. So again, this to is the, like oh. the most cross-referenced movie. Sure. That one. Sure. Oh yeah, yeah. Her Majesty's Secret Service for sure. Yeah. But like I said, they were trying to make it look like. L- Lazenby was basically Sean Connery continued. Yeah. Without they, a doubt. They offered him they offered him a six or seven movie deal. Like well, yeah, but, turned it down. Well, well yeah, I told you the whole thing, because he was like totally into like hippie love and, yeah. and counterculture, and they were like, No, you have to cut your hair. And he was like, yeah. fuck off, I'm not cutting my hair. And I know I lo- like I know so many people hate on Lazenby. And I don't you know consider, why. Like, it's his first and only starring movie role. And you take that into consideration, I think he's cool. As an actor, like a lot of the choices he makes in this movie, I really like. He's a very... He's the only Bond, out of all the Bonds, that has vulnerability to him. Yes. He shows a vulnerable side to Bond. Well, yeah, because... Side that you don't see in any of the other Bonds. No, because, and especially it shows right when he, um, when he talks to Blofeld and Blofeld figures out he's Bond. Yeah. It's something with the genealogy and he forgets. And he says, the real such and such would never forget that. And it's like, fuck. And never in any of the other Bond movies does a detail, you know, does Bond let a detail slip by? But it's like, like, of course he would let a detail slip by because he's not a freaking machine. How could he possibly remember all of that? You know, like in a week's time kind of thing. I know he's supposed to be the world's best spy, but, and you're right. It's like the vulnerability that they show in that first one is, is, is really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, th- I think it's a shame he didn't do Go On To Do Diamonds Are Forever at least, because I think it would have been a better movie with Lazenby. The um, thing that impressed me most about On Her Majesty's Secret Service right away were the fight scenes. Yeah. Because right away, it looked like when he would throw a punch, 
It looked like a guy who would be in a fight. Well, that was that's funny enough you say that because that was one of the reasons he got the job. Yeah, yeah. Because he accidentally, he accidentally punched uh, one the of stunt the guy. stunt guy in the no, face. No. Yeah, they said they said throw a punch. Do you know how to throw a punch? Yeah, and he was like, I was a freaking farmhand. I we, we yeah. used to like drink and get into fights every weekend. So he said he laid the guy out like yeah. he was supposed to just kind of like pull his punch, but he dropped the guy like a sack of potatoes. Yeah. But the odd thing that I, that I thought was like just bizarre was the fight scenes, they sped up on film. And I was like, why? They've done that. They did that a lot in these movies. In the Connerys, they did it as well. I have no idea why. Not as much as this one. This oh, one, yeah. it was jarring. Yeah. This one, it was... I was like, why did they do that? Because like, his, like I said, his, his swings, his punches, his kicks, like all the... It all looked real enough to think like, okay, yeah. this guy's fighting. Now, when they got to, you know, Brosnan in particular, they were like, all right, let's make this look like military training. Mm. You know, like he really knows how to throw a punch and how to defend. And there's a lot of Krav Maga involved and a lot of martial arts, yeah. all of that. But back then it looked like, okay, yeah, this guy looks like he could fight. And then they sped up the film and I didn't think it was necessary. I think it must be one of the things that they had a specific, specific negative feedback on because what, one of the only redeeming factors of Diamonds of Forever for me is the fighting in Diamonds of Forever is actually really good. Yes. Which they bring the physicality of Sean Connery back. Yes. And I guess the technology is upped since yep. the first couple he did where it was a little hammy and that there's that fight scene he has in Diamonds of Forever in the, in the elevator. Yeah. Which is like, which is like something straight out of Casino Royale. Yeah. Like you can do, and actually Daniel Craig said in an interview when he's preparing for it, he went back and specifically studied Connery's uh, fighting and in Diamonds of Forever because he said it was so physical it looked like a guy who'd had training who was trying not to die. Right. And, and that's what the difference is. Sean Connery looks like he is trying to not die. Yes. And will do anything to do that. Yes. And like he is like yes. smashing and kicking. Yeah, ab- and absolutely. And, and and the other thing about Diamonds Are Forever, which I always loved, and I was like, Ridley Scott, you son of a bitch. The scene when the girl does all the backflips and jumps on Bond and starts choking him legs. Uh-huh. Straight out of Blade Runner, or I should oh, say, yeah, Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Straight out of Straight out of Diamonds Are Forever. I'm like, yeah. wait a second. <laughs> it, I mean, it's almost like shot for shot. It's like, what? Yeah. What? I don't bet you. I bet you anything. If you studied into the lore of that, that the her as a replicant, it would have been like built into her by the geeky guy who built her. That like that was his favorite movie. <laughs> and just like I'm took sure. it straight out. I'm built sure. It into her. I'm sure. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of movies, both of these, uh, that's the thing that I liked about Her Majesty's Secret Service. He was vulnerable the whole time. Yeah. Because he kind of went into the lion's den. It wasn't through subterfuge. Well, it was through subterfuge, but he went openly. Yeah. And just kind of like as an undercover guy, as opposed to sneaking in the back door while everybody's sleeping kind of thing, which Uh was most of the Bond things. Or the other ridiculous ones where he goes, hello, I'm James Bond. Oh, no bad guy that has plans of world domination could possibly know who the fuck you are, guy. You know, uh, although in in View to a Kill, he was uh, something Sinjin. Oh, yeah, Sinjin Smythe. Sinjin Smythe. That's right. right, Uh, That's right. Sinjin Smythe. That's like the most British name you can think of. (laughs) Uh, except for Nigel Carruthers. Oh, okay. Nigel Carruthers is like I, I'm giving that one to <laughs> Billy Connolly because I can't think of a better British name. Um, I mean, they're both really good movies. 
This I, is a tough one for I, me. Diana Rigg is so good in the Majesty Success as well. I she really, really, like her really in that movie. is. Uh, and she's a great actress. Um, I think, uh, and what's interesting is like the way he cheesily manages to sleep with all those different women, like where he's you know staying the allergen in this place. And like if that if Roger Moore had got a sniff of that, it would have been so different. Yes, it would have been so ridiculous. Yes. It w- with Roger Moore, he would have gotten into one room oh. and he would have called all the other girls to come into his room so they could all be in one bed at and the same time. Like, oh, oh, well, what happened well, here? Oh. Well, it's a good thing they call me. They don't call me Double O Tripod for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but like, there's something so inherently charming about uh, Lazenby. Like, he's very charming. He, re- he really, really I is. Don't, like, Sean Connery can't help. The skeeviness like falls off him. Like when he's well, being slimy with girls, I'm like, well, oh, no. I mean, there's that scene in 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 Thunderball when he's like in therapy and the masseuse is there, and he's like, oh, really? It is so fucking rapey. It's just, it's just like terrifying to watch. And, and he hits women a lot. Y- oh, yeah, he, he no, every time. Women. It's like every time. But also, I think Lazenby hits a woman in... But it was the 60s. It was so... Like I said, (laughs) these movies do not hold up even like four (laughs) years later. And he's not going to even hit a woman. He'd hit her across the room. Yeah. And then five minutes later, they'd be sleeping with each other. They'd be sleeping with each other. It's like, what? This is like classical domestic abuse. It's like, Lurlene, why you make me hurt you so bad? (laughs) One of the most common things that happens, and this does happen in Lazenby's one as well, is that he uses women as a human shield as yeah. a first instinct. Yes. Whether they're bad or good, yes. someone is going to come in with a gun. The first thing he does, he turns and, <laughs> and they take the bullet and he just throws a corpse to the side. It's true. Connery's constantly doing it. Yes. And he's just like, oh, whatever. Uh, fuck you. Fuck you. Well, that's the other thing. Connery, <laughs> it, it, Connery in all the Bond movies, he always looks like he's pissed. Like somebody owns him a fucking 20. You know, yeah. it's just like... It's, I mean, it's why I like him as Bond because he, I mean, he's believable in being like military man yes in the, like, he doesn't give a fuck you're like, right he is the true like I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm overseas I'm a soldier yeah I'm gonna fuck this strange native woman and who gives a shit what happens to her right I don't care I know like, this is I, not this is not, that's kind of and he has that vibe the whole time he does he doesn't give well a he's shit. done that in interviews you, yeah. you, you've seen that interview from the 80s and this is like would you ever like Barbara Walters was like would you ever smack a woman he's like if she deserves it, I bloody well would. <laughs> it's just like, holy shit. Like, it's, it, it's one of those like Sean Connery things. Like, there are always these people that can say the most outlandish shit, and everyone just goes like, eh, that's him, he's an asshole. You yeah. know, and nobody nobody takes offense to it. Everyone just goes like, eh, that's him. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's, I read this story about him. Like, he actually, uh, he was like a, he was a, he was a fighter. He was like a bare knuckle boxer before he was an actor. Yeah. And he got in a big old fight. It's, it's in his Wikipedia, I think. In uh, Edinburgh, where, where he was from, he grew up, and when he was in like his late teens, he got in. Uh, he got like a bad look from a guy in a nightclub. He was going like the, one of the local uh, toughs, toughs in right. this Edinburgh gang. It was this famous Edinburgh street gang, uh-huh. and they all approached him in the alleyway of this nightclub, okay. and there was like six of these dudes all like came on Sean Connery. Uh-huh. He was like a bodybuilder at the time. And he took them all on. And he won. Yeah. He beat up six men in an alleyway. Yeah. And he even said specifically, at one point, much like Bond would, two of them were coming at him. He literally grabbed two of their heads and smashed their heads together. together and instantly knocked them both out. Because he was a huge, strong guy. <laughs> like, Jesus that Christ. Was, that was a thing, <laughs> like, in the Mr. Universe contest, he didn't win so much for body, but he won for strength. 
Mm. <laughs> and when you look at the pictures, I'm like, he's not that. It's like he must be really fucking strong because he's not that muscular. You know, you're like, yeah. whoa. But yeah, yeah, yeah. He was just like, yeah. But <laughs> yeah, so I, I mean, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, a lot of fun thing, a lot of exciting uh, uh, things, new things. Like I said, the fact that they're trying to push him as the next, as just a continuation of Connery. Um, I liked uh, 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 Diana Rigg as the love interest. The fact that her dad was just like a, a, a huge freaking mafioso kind of guy. I like that too, because because it actually lends believability to her character. Yeah. Because if you're a top mob boss and you have one daughter, it's kind of like the story of Elektra from the comic books. You're going to hire the biggest and best fighters, assassins, whatever, to teach your daughter every fucking trick in the book to make sure she's safe. Yeah. Because any father would do that. And it's like, so I really like that whole uh, angle of it. Um, like, like you said, the whole... Uh, 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 um, misogyny of Lazenby as well was kind of odd, but like the fact that she was like a firecracker of a character that was really well reflected kind of with Michelle Yeoh as well with with Pierce Brosnan because every time he tried to make a cheesy move, she'd be she'd just like give him this like cold fish stare, like dude, you stay on your fucking side of the desk, I'll be on my side of the desk, yeah. and we'll get along just fine, yeah. which was really fun too. <sighs> And I almost want I I, 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 I want to give this to Lazenby. I did as well. I actually, I is one of my favorite, maybe my favorite money penny scene is with is on that film. Oh, well. without a it's doubt, so great. So when he goes good. in and quits, and he's like, "Fine, that's it, I'm gone." Yes, and and she she submits like a vacation form, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then M says, "What would I do without you, money penny?" Yeah, like yeah, in yeah. the thing, like money, like that's right. This is like really the only movie. Where you you see like what a linchpin money penny is to this yeah. whole fucking operation. Oh yeah, yeah. She's like, oh, it's boys will be boys, and she's having a you know. Basically They're having a like snit. Being mother to these two little boys. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's it, it, that was really good, and like I said, so heart wrenching the whole thing when he gets married. Yeah, yeah. And the connection they have, like, I don't know if they just got on like per like personally on a personal out of character level, but the chemistry there was so good. The best colonial. Uh... Colonial Brits. I guess, yeah. Like but the chemistry was so good. And that whole, like, after the wedding scene, and she's sad, and his heart is a little bit broken for her, too. You know, it's just like, yeah. that is really good. Yeah, no, it, it, that is good. I like that a lot. And and even the beginning where he says, like, oh, this never happened to the other guy. Yeah, I like, you know, that was kind of cute. Yes, the, the, kind of the fourth wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, think, I think we have our Sweet 16 now, then. Yeah. The Man with the Golden Gun... And on Her Majesty's Secret Service, go back, go into the Sweet 16. So actually, one of the original 16 is bounced out, and that's The World Is Not Enough. Huh. All right. So there we go, folks. Uh, Sweet 16. This is the layout for the Sweet 16 now. So we have a Q region and a Felix Leiter region. So in the Q region, we have Skyfall versus The Man with the Golden Gun. Which is almost like almost unfair. Um, Live and Let Die versus From Russia with Love, <laughs> Casino Royale versus Moonraker, Spectre versus Die Another Day, and then in the Felix Leiter region we have Goldfinger versus Goldeneye. Funnily enough, 
The Spy Who Loved Me versus Diamonds Are Forever, You Only Live Twice versus Quantum of Solace, and Thunderball versus On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Mm. That's, uh, there's going to be some tough ones in here, I think. Yeah. Honestly. So we're going to have basically three rounds out of the Sweet 16. Q region and Felix Ladder region. That's going to be tough. Yeah. Well, congrats to the man with the golden gun and Her Majesty's Secret Service for making the Sweet 16. Yep. Well, there we, that's where we are here, folks. And now for our grade, which we have to clarify because we we, this is the first time we've done spirits. Yeah. So do we compare it as a drink overall? I, I guess we have to because we have nothing else to compare it to. Yeah. We compare it to our, other, to our ciders and our beers. What do you think, my friend? Uh -huh. So we had the Crystal Head Vodka with Noali Pratt Vermouth done. Mar vodka Martini shaken, not stirred. Oh, gosh, so good. It was so, so good. Like, <laughs> I was want to make another one, but I have a rehearsal yeah. to get to, <laughs> so I kind of can't. Yeah. So uh, uh, let me plug that, by the way, folks, in case you, if you're in the New York City area... I will be performing with American Candy, a sketch troupe. That's the resident sketch troupe down at the Green Space, uh, NYC, WNYC's Green Space. Uh, we will be performing two shows on April, Saturday, April 27th. So get those tickets because they sell out fast. That's my plug. Okay. You have any plugs to plug? Uh, not yet. Not yet? Okay. Not yet. All right. In the future. We'll okay. see. All right. Fair enough. So back to our vodka martinis, shaken, not stirred. With Crystal Head Vodka, Noali Pratt Vermouth with a lemon twist. Delicious, I have to say. I found it. I have to give it like a 4.7. <laughs> you know what? I... Okay. Before I put this down, because I thought the same thing when I just tasted it. And I was like, how is any beer ever going to beat this? Although we've had yeah. some 4.7s. I'm worried about scoring it that high. Because when we try the other ones, the other ones might be better. And there's only three points to get up to a five. I mean, this is a really, really good drink. Well, it, it, the only thing I can say then is I'm like... I'm me, not trying to talk you out no, of your... No, no, no. I'm saying for, it's a 4.7 now for me, based okay. on the other things I've drunk. Okay. However, perhaps it's in pencil. And then once we try the other okay. spirits... Maybe it gets knocked down. Maybe it loses points. I don't know. Okay. Maybe... Okay. Well, you know what? No. You're, you're 4.7, it's a good call because like we've said all along for yeah. now, like two plus years that we've been doing the show, it's a sliding scale. Yeah. And w right now, like beers, because we've had so many beers, beers are a tough scale at this point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What in the beginning would have been a 4.2 is now probably like a 3.7. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, which doesn't make it a bad beer at all, but you know, the, 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 the scale is sliding. Yeah. And there's so many little spots for in between. So I say keep it at the 4.7. Yeah. I was thinking 4.7 myself. Okay. Um, and I will say 4.7 because just in terms of just drinks, you know, gin and tonic used to be like my go-to drink. And, and then some, there are a couple of cocktails that I made and I said that the Barbados Sunset... There's another uh, gin that I had that you just grind up a bunch of cucumber uh -huh. and you mix it with gin and tonic and then put some cayenne pepper on it. Oh. 
you know, and, and you, you mix it with ice, so it's icy cold. Yeah. It's just like a mind-blowing drink. It's wow. such a summer drink. It's so good. Yeah. It's, it's incredibly good. And I forget what the place where I had it called it, but I make it in the summertime. I have like two of those, and I'm good for the day. It's... <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll say 4.72 because that was a tasty-ass drink. Yeah. This is fantastic. I don't know if the stout just like cleansed our palate really Maybe, well for this. I guess. But, you know, this is really, really good. Yeah. Well, right, that's but, the secret for now. Now, uh, whenever I go to any bar, I'm going to order a stout <laughs> and a martini. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, all right, folks. That's our show. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And we're going to see you next time when we start the Sweet 16 of the What's Going On Here Best Tournament Bond movies. And that'll be episode 60. So, until then, folks. Yep, see ya. Bye.